0: Thanks, Grant, and yeah, we'll see you Christmas Eve, Eve, Friday night, that'll be great, and then Sunday, all those services are identical, so you choose which one works best for your family. Sunday morning, Christmas, it is Christ Mass, so I think that's a great opportunity for us to worship Jesus. I'm looking forward to that, and uh, let me give you one more reminder, Uh, we're launching our 2023 devotional challenge in a couple of weeks on January 1st, and so we've got more books, for you, we're going through a book together that'll give us one proverb every, uh, every day and give us some reflections on that and uh, some application questions, some prayer, prayer prompts for that, and uh, we got more books in stock, so grab one of those on your way out. It's only five bucks. What a deal. Uh, these aren't meant to be stocking stuffers for you to load up on for all your family and friends. We're subsidizing these so that you can grow in 2023 uh, because that's our goal as a church is to always be growing. And that's what we're talking about today, growing. Um, I don't know if you remember when you were a kid how much you couldn't wait to grow. You just couldn't wait. And so when you were like six years old and your mom would tell people that you're six years old, what would you say? No, 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 mom, I'm six and three quarters. You know, you would always have to keep exact count of where you are on the chronology because you couldn't wait to get older. When your dad would mark your height on the door jam, let's say it's like, Four foot nine and a half, what would you say? That's four foot ten. Because you always round up, right? You go to school, tell your friends, I'm four foot ten now. It's amazing. When it was the, your last day of fifth grade, what would you say to people? I'm a sixth grader now. I'm a middle schooler. Even though you got two months of summer to get through before you're actually a middle schooler, you couldn't wait to get to that next stage. When you turned 18, what did you say? I'm an adult. I'm an adult. People would be like, well, do you have a driver's license? No. Do you have a credit card, bank account? No. Do you have a job? No. But I'm an adult. I'm an adult because we always couldn't wait to grow. And then somewhere along the way, that reversed. Somewhere along the way, you started rounding down on your age, right? You're like, I'm I'm in my mid-30s. But, but you're 39. I, I'm not sure if 39 counts as mid. No, no, no. That's mid-30s right there. We start doing the opposite at some point in life. Why is that? Why do we do that? Because we get to a point in life. I'm convinced all of us get to this point in life where we think to ourselves, I thought I would be further along in life than I am right now. I thought I would have accomplished more in life than I have. I thought I would have grown in life more than I have. I didn't think I would be wrestling with the same things today that I was wrestling with 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. If that's you, if you ever find yourself frustrated that you haven't moved forward in life as fast as you hoped, well, you're gonna be really encouraged today because we're gonna see that God himself didn't move forward in life very fast. When God became one with us, Emmanuel, like we sang this morning, when he became one of us, when he took on the fullness of humanity, he had to learn and grow over 30 long years. And that gives a lot of hope to slow learners like me and like the rest of us. So let's pray, then we'll see what happened in the life of Jesus. Father, thank you for this Christmas season where we get to reflect on you becoming one with us. One of us. It's such an amazing reality that that blows our minds every time we think about it. Thank you that you came to earth to be one of us so that you could identify with us. That you are like us in all ways, yet without sin. So that you could model life for us. So that you could lead us, save us, help us every day of our lives. Help us to live like you as we see Jesus in his life here on earth. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, if you got your Bible, you can open to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2 is where we're going to start today. And uh, last week, we saw the story of this 12 year old Jesus at the temple. We saw that in Luke 2. We saw how he was asking Bible scholars all these theology questions. We saw how he was amazing the scribes with all of his knowledge and wisdom. And It wasn't because Jesus popped out of the womb preaching sermons. That's not why it was. Jesus didn't get born and say, thank you, mother, for giving birth to the Son of God. Now let me give you a little sermon on the implications of the incarnation. That's not what Jesus did. He had to learn and grow as he went through life just like the rest of us. Look at what it says in Luke 2, verse 40. We're going to look at two verses that bookend the story that we looked at last week. Luke 2, verse 40 says, the boy, Jesus, he grew up, and he became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. He became filled with wisdom, and then in the story that comes right after it, which we covered last week, Luke shows us how Jesus grew up and became filled with wisdom. It was by reading and studying and asking and learning, like he did at the temple. We saw that last week. And then look at the verse at the end of that story, the other bookend, verse 52, Luke says Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Jesus increased in stature. That means he grew physically. He increased in age, in height, in weight, in strength. But then it also says Jesus increased in wisdom. And then Luke explains what that means. It means he grew intellectually. He grew socially, increased in favor with man. He increased emotionally, he increased spiritually. That's a crazy thing to think about. He increased in favor with God. How did that happen? Because he increased in his understanding of God as he grew up. His understanding of the world around him, his understanding of himself. And the way that Luke phrases it, increased in wisdom and stature, what he's saying is that Jesus grew intellectually and spiritually in the same way that he grew physically. It all happened in the same way at the same time, all together. Jesus didn't come out of the womb all knowing. He had to learn how to walk, learn how to talk, he had to learn his ABCs from his mom. Well, in Hebrew that would have been Aleph, Bet, Gimel, but ABCs, right? He had to learn how to swing a hammer, how to do carpentry from his dad. He had to learn and grow. Now we got to make it clear: Jesus never stopped being God. Je- Jesus didn't like evolve from being a man into God. No, when God became man, he willingly set aside the use of some of his divine attributes while he was here on earth. He, he didn't give up his omniscience and omnipotence. So, so this isn't like Superman giving up his superpowers so he can marry Lois Lane. That's not what's going on here. He temporarily set aside his powers as God so that he could fully experience life as a man he willingly submitted himself to all of the process that we've got to go through of growing and learning. So as Jesus saw more of the world, as he experienced more of life, as he read more books and talked with more people, he got more smart. He got more wise. Jesus wasn't like somehow hiding his omniscience so that that he wouldn't freak out his family and friends. Like when his mom said, hey, Jesus, if you crack your knuckles, you're going to get arthritis. Jesus wasn't thinking inside, actually, mother, the crack that you hear is synovial fluid filling newly expanded space in the joint, and that causes no lasting permanent damage at all. He he wasn't thinking that. When his dad said to him, "Hey, hey, Jesus, if you drink coffee, it's going to stunt your growth. Jesus wasn't thinking, actually, father. That idea comes from a disproved theory that coffee causes osteoporosis. That theory has been disproved, and so no, there's no effect from coffee on growth. He wasn't thinking that way. Jesus wasn't a walking encyclopedia as he was growing up. Jesus really learned. He really grew. He really developed. He increased in knowledge and wisdom and skill. And so what that means is at some point, Jesus was unknowledgeable, unwise, unskilled. Now, again, we got to make clear, that doesn't mean he was unrighteous. Scripture is really clear. He was in all ways like us and yet without sin. Okay? He never lied, never cheated, never stole. But at some point, Jesus didn't know his times tables. He didn't. He thought five times five was 20. At some point, Jesus didn't know how to spell I before E except after C. At some point, Jesus spelled receive R-E-C-I-E-V-E. At some point, Jesus didn't know carpentry at all. He didn't know measure twice, cut once. And so when he went to try and make a table leg, he measured once and got it wrong. And so he had to cut twice and waste a piece of wood. Jesus really learned. i got to say this again, because Christians have a really hard time believing this. Jesus really learned. He didn't pretend to learn. Like, measure twice, cut once, please. I know all things past, present, future, and possible. I don't need to measure anything. I, I just know exactly how long this leg of the table needs to be. He didn't do that. Jesus really learned. He really grew. He listened He read, he memorized, he practiced. He observed things, and then out of that, he deduced things, and he drew conclusions about things. Jesus became a learner. Why? So that he could experience and model what it means for us to be learners. All of us who follow Jesus, what are we called? We are disciples, right? It's just a fancy way of saying learner. Same idea. We're people who learn and imitate and follow. And so Jesus is calling us to learn and grow the same way he did. We can watch him learn and grow and and find out how that happens. He's calling us to learn from experience, to learn from other people, to learn from God through his word and his spirit. And one way that Jesus learned how to be a learner is that he read the book of Proverbs. This was a huge part of his development because we know that Jesus loved the word of God. So we're gonna go there to the place where Jesus would have learned how to learn to be a learner. Look at Proverbs chapter one. That's where we're gonna be for the rest of our time. Flip back in your Bible, Proverbs chapter one. And remember, King Solomon is writing this to teach his son how to live everyday life in this crazy mixed up world. And so as Jesus was growing up, he would have learned from this book too. You would have learned how to be a learner. So look at what it says in Proverbs 1, verse 1. Proverbs 1, 1. Solomon says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings. What's he saying? We need to learn how to put wisdom into everyday practice. We need to learn how insightful sayings are practically applied. Because here's the reality family, you can follow the Ten Commandments to a T and still make a mess of your life. That's possible. You can follow the example of Abraham and Moses and David, the heroes of the faith, and still make terrible decisions in life. Solomon sure did. I mean, that's why he wrote the book of Proverbs, to to teach us how to learn from the mistakes that he made to show us how God wants to help us in the day-by-day, moment-by-moment, real life that we live. What kind of person should I marry? What kind of career should I pursue? How should I spend my money? How should I raise my kids? Solomon made huge mistakes in all those areas. Like, think about marriage. Solomon had 700 wives. And then 300 side chicks on the side, besides... 700 wives. Why did he have 700 wives? Because he was dissatisfied with each one, and he thought, maybe the next one will be better. That's the only way you you get 700 wives. You think, that one's not quite what I'm looking for. I'll try another one. Well, (laughs) I think after the third wife, it's pretty clear, the problem's not her, brother. It's you. And, And so Solomon learned from that. What about his money? Solomon was fabulously wealthy. If we were to take his net worth and put it into today's dollars, it would be more than $100 billion. You'd be up there with Elon Musk, one of the richest guys on the planet. $100 billion. You couldn't spend that money in a lifetime. Well, guess what? Solomon did. He spent so much money on, like, gold leaf for his palaces and, and thoroughbred horses for his stables that he actually ran out of money. He went through money so fast that he was forced to put these crazy high taxes on his people to cover his expenses. He was forced to give away 20 towns in Israel to the king of Tyre to pay off his debts. Somehow he blew through a hundred billion dollars. Epic failure with his money. What about his kids? What about his kids? Okay, so he had 700 wives, 700, I'm sorry, 300 concubines. You would think that he had would have had to have thousands of kids, right? Had to. Well, guess what? Scripture only mentions three of Solomon's kids. Only three. Why is that? Probably because all the rest of his kids didn't even identify themselves with the faith and nation of Israel. Most of their moms were foreign idolaters, and so that's how those kids grew up. Solomon experienced epic fails in all of those areas. And so now he wants to pass along his wisdom to his son and eventually to Jesus and eventually to the rest of us. He wants to show us how to grow in life. And so how do we grow? From Solomon, we learn, first of all, learn from experience. That's how Solomon learned, from experience. You've got to learn some lessons from the mistakes and failures and blunders that you experience in life. Like when I was in college, uh, I wanted a summer job, and so I was looking uh, around, and I, I saw this ad for a marketing position that paid $25 an hour, $25 an hour. Now, I know today, you can get $25 an hour just like starting pay at Zippies, all right? But back then, $25 an hour was crazy money. So I called up the company, got on the phone with a manager. I spent about a minute and a half on the phone, and I was hired right then. That should have been my first warning right there. I show up for my first day of work. They send me out with the veteran. This is the guy who's worked there the longest in the company. He's worked there a month and a half. That should have been my second warning. I go out with this guy, and I find out what this company's idea of marketing was. Here's what it was. It meant sneaking into office buildings and warehouses and planting mail-order catalogs on break room tables, hoping that the employees would see them, leaf through them, and order something. And then you would get a cut out of what they ordered because of the reference code in that mail order catalog. That was their idea of marketing. And so the whole day, we were sneaking around, sneaking through back doors, running down dark hallways, running back out with security guards chasing us out of the building. That was the whole day that I spent on this job. So as soon as he took me back to the office, I quit. I only lasted one day on that job but I learned. I learned that if I'm looking for a job, I can't just let a company interview me. I got to interview the company. I got to investigate the company. I learned from experience, a terrible experience. Jesus learned from experience. Again, he never sinned, but we saw last week from Hebrews 5, he learned obedience through suffering. He learned from experience. So we got to make sure we learn from our experiences. we got to make sure that. Like Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. If you never reflect on your life, if you never learn from your life, grow from the experiences that you have in life, you're not really living. You're not expanding, not growing. So when you go to bed at night, Don't just fire up the gram, fire up the TikTok like you normally do. Take a minute. Just reflect on your day. Reflect on what you experienced that day. And then reflect on what you can learn from what you experienced during the day. We've got to learn from our experiences. That's how Solomon learned. But he also learned that it's a lot better if you don't have to learn from all the kind of epic fails that he had to learn from. And so that's why he wrote this book. And so here's another way to grow. Number two, learn from others. That's what Solomon is hoping we'll do instead of going through everything that he went through. He's hoping we'll find people with experience and knowledge and wisdom. He's hoping that we'll read books like Proverbs. We'll investigate. We'll do research. Now, you always got to be careful who you're learning from. Like this week, I was talking with one of my kids, And uh, this kid will remain nameless because I have a deal that if I mention one of my kids in a sermon, if I mention their name without their permission, I owe them $20. So I do not want to pay $20 today. So this kid will remain nameless. This kid will remain genderless. You have no idea who this kid is, right? No idea. I'm having this conversation with my kid this week. And this kid is like, we're talking about a, a life sentence that prisoners get. And this kid was like, well, that's when you get, the same number of years in prison as you've lived life, right? Like, wait a second. You think that a life sentence is that you get the same number of years in prison as you are old when you get sentenced? And this kid is like, well, well, yeah, isn't that it? I'm like, no! If that was true, we'd have a world full of four-year-old murderers, you know? They could do four years in prison, that's not too long, you know, that wouldn't make any sense. Where did you learn that? Guess where they learned this? TikTok. Who would have guessed, right? Never would have saw that coming. This is the same place where you learn that you should stir fry chicken in NyQuil, right? You've got to be careful where you're learning things. Jesus, he learned from his parents. He learned from his teachers, learned from Bible scholars. We've got to seek out older, wiser more experienced people who can tell us what to pursue in life, tell us what to value in life, and show us the pitfalls we should avoid in life. That's what Solomon's doing here in Proverbs. That's what he's doing. Look what he says in verse 3 as we continue. Verse 3, he says, For receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced knowledge, and discretion to a young man, let a wise person listen and increase learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance. He's talking to all levels of people here, and what he's saying is that everyone needs to keep learning. Everyone needs wisdom and instruction and insight. So how do we grow? Here's number three, recognize our needs to grow. A lot of us don't recognize that. We gotta recognize our need to grow at every age of life and stage of life. Like Solomon, he's talking to the young punks in verse four. He's talking to young men, to the inexperienced. What is he saying? You think you know everything compared to the olds, right? The millennials think the boomers and the Gen Xers got it all wrong. Gen Zers think the millennials got it all wrong. But Solomon says, you need to learn shrewdness, and discretion. You need to learn shrewdness. What is he saying? You only think you know everything in life because you haven't experienced much of life yet. You're still young, you're naive. That's what he says to the young people. And then he doesn't leave the old people out. He talks to us old folks in verse 5. He he says, You think you already learned everything you need to know in life. And so you can just kick back and watch Sports Center or HGTV or whatever it is that you're into. But look at what he says you still need to increase in learning. Old people, wise people, discerning people, you still need to increase in learning. You never reach a point in life where you can just put it on cruise control. You always gotta be stretching in life, growing in life, trying new things, learning new things, growing in relationships and growing in your relationship with God. We all need to increase in learning. Why is that? Look at verse six. For understanding a proverb or a parable. The words of the wise and their riddles. Okay, and what do these proverbs and parables and words of the wise want to teach us? Verse 7, here it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Family, circle that verse in your Bible. Highlight that verse in your Bible app. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of learning, the beginning of growth, the beginning of everything, everything in life. Because your relationship with God determines everything about you. Determines how you act, how you think. Determines how you relate to the people around you. Determines how you work. It determines how you do math. Have you ever thought about how your relationship with God affects the way you do math? I didn't until our son Caleb was... uh, middle schooler at a Christian school, and we got an email from his math teacher at the beginning of the semester. It was an amazing email. She said, I'm going to be teaching your kids equations and logic and all that, but most what I, mostly what I want to teach them is that we have this great big sovereign God who created an orderly universe that runs on math, and that reflects his character. I want to teach your kids through math that they have an orderly How many mathematicians see God in their equations? How many carpenters see God in their 2x4s and the T111s? How many stay-at-home moms see God in, in the, the dirty diapers and the runny noses? Your relationship with God determines everything about you. When God is at the center, everything you do in life is transformed. Everything. Most people, most people today see God as one of the plates that they're spinning in life. You got all these plates that you're spinning, family, friends, career, chores, free time. You got emails you got to keep up with. You got social media that you got to keep scrolling. If you're really, really up there... you'll have some community organizations you're volunteering in, PTSA, you got to do things for. If you're really holy, you'll have a volunteer ministry that you're a part of. you got all these plates spinning all the time, and so you're always having to go, oh, wait, the family plate, it's starting to wobble. Got to pay attention to that one. But oh, whoa. now the career plate is starting to get a little wobbly too. You're always going back and forth, and then eventually what happens, you got to let one of the plates drop. you got no other choice. One of the plates has got to drop. Guess which plate always is going to drop first? God. God, that's all that always happens. I've seen it a million times. But what Solomon is telling us here is that God is not satisfied to be one of the plates that you're spinning. If God is God, he's got to be at the center of everything. He's got to be at the center of your career. So don't ask yourself, where can I climb the ladder and and get promoted the quickest? Where can I get the fattest paycheck? No, ask yourself, where can God grow me best and use me best? Where can God grow me best and use me best? When you're thinking about your family, God wants to be at the center. So don't say, how come my family doesn't meet my needs? Ask yourself, how can God... Use me to bless my family and meet their needs. Everything changes when God is at the center. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of growth, the beginning of life. So how do we grow? Here's the last, the most important one, by fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord, standing in awe of his majesty, his power, his wisdom, Standing in awe of his justice and his love and his mercy. Standing in awe of how all of that was brought to bear on our behalf through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Standing in awe of how God came near to us. That's what Solomon has in mind when he uses the name of God that he uses in this verse. The fear of the Lord. The Lord, whenever you see that word in your Old Testament, Lord with all capitals, what that means is in the original Hebrew, what they wrote was Yahweh. Yahweh is the covenant name of God. It's the personal name of God. It's the name that he wants his kids to call him. Nobody else could call him that. Kind of like when I was growing up, I would hear people call my dad Dr. Dirks. Dr. Dirks always sounded so weird to me. It's like, no, no, no. This is the guy who tells me dad jokes every morning. This is the guy who helps me with my homework every night. This is the guy who who takes me bodyboarding and free diving and, and hiking. Yeah, he's a scholar, whatever, but he's dad. That's who he really is, dad. That's the idea that Solomon's giving us here. Fearing the Lord, fearing Yahweh, it doesn't mean fearing some distant ruler who doesn't really care about you doesn't mean fearing some some kind of impersonal power like a volcano or a tsunami it means standing in awe of the god who loved you and committed himself to you that's what fearing the lord means fearing god doesn't mean being scared of what god might do to you no it means appreciating what he has already done for you. Like it says in Psalm 130 verse 4. It says with you God there is forgiveness that you may be feared. With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. We think when we when we come across a verse like that we think it should be the opposite. We think it should say with you there is power and wrath, and justice that you may be feared. But that's not what the verse says. With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So family, yeah, God is not your homeboy. He's not your co-pilot. you got to fear him and respect him and obey him, but it's primarily going to be because of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. It's only unforgiven people who need to be scared of God. The only people who should be scared of the wrath of Jesus are the people who want to live their lives apart from Jesus. But if you've been forgiven by God through the grace of Jesus, then Romans 8 says, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Family, you don't need to shake in fear before God anymore. You've been adopted. You're one of his kids. So fearing God, it doesn't mean being scared of God. It means being in awe of his loving commitment to you. And so you want to honor him. You want to please him. You want to obey him because of how much you appreciate him. Just like Jesus. Jesus. It says in Isaiah that Jesus came in the fear of the Lord. It says he delighted in the fear of the Lord. So fam, that's how we're going to grow in life. Delighting in the Lord. Delight yourself in him. Keep searching the scriptures to see more of who God is. Keep looking around you to see more of what he's done in the world. And then keep watching in your life. To see how much he changes in you, how much he grows you, how much he matures you. That's our mission. That's our mission, family, to delight in God just like Jesus did, so that we can grow in God just like Jesus did. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us this great example of a, a man who was in always like us, yet without sin. Because of that, he grew, learned, developed, just like all of us need to for all of life. Thank you that Jesus condescended himself to be one with us, to be one like us, so that he could model this kind of life for us. And thank you that we don't just have a story Some lifeless words to try and imitate. Thank you that we have the Holy Spirit to empower us the same way that Jesus did. Thank you that you keep growing us. Keep conforming us in the likeness of Christ so that we can keep glorifying you in all that we do. Help us to be like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.